everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not outside running or riding or something that affect, I'm probably inside writing or talking about it. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we look at people who do all different types of movement and study and support those movements. And um, we try and learn something and bring it back to the, the different movements and sports that we do, or maybe ones we want to do in the future. 7.5 out of 10. Okay. Well, that intro keeps developing. And what have you been up to? What have you been developing? <laughs> uh, I've been developing an appreciation for when the roads are not ice covered. Uh, we had a couple storms in early November and I realized that it turns out running, doing intervals and stuff on ice and snow, a lot more challenging. It's definitely the place for the, the treadmill or the indoor is, yep. is when yep. you're trying to do speed, right? It's, it's very hard to do that, you know, as you're out there trying to be a hard person, you know, training in the, the speed is a tough thing. Now you can decide that you're just not going to work on speed for a while, but it is the tricky I bit. tell you what, I felt like, um, is it Rocky four where he's against the, the Russian and he's training in like Siberia or something and it's in the snow and he's got like the, the wood that he's running with and all of that. Uh, that's basically how I felt last week when I was trying to do my like one minute on one minute off intervals because I was realizing I was slipping too much on the road. So I was like, ah, oh, the soccer field look with like eight inches of snow seems like it'll be good. And yes, I was basically Rocky. Rocky may have had more of a strength bias and, and less of a sort of speed bias, I guess. But. Well, you know what? For that minute, I was Rocky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's good for running form and yeah i don't know i really like running on slippery surfaces but there is that cost benefit if you go down and yeah, yeah. but i think on the whole it, it's generally like it's it's good i think yeah yeah and you get even just trudging through snow and then you're on you know ice and then you get a little bit of pavement it's, it's interesting so that's good um what have i been up to i actually just was sending a bunch of emails about people riding outside and sort of just trying to you know the the clothing sort of a skill we have to work on and develop and sort of encouraging people that you know if you have downhill ski gear or cross-country ski gear or running warm sort of clothing then you can certainly cross that stuff over uh, and then also using like mountain bikes or fat bikes on the road is very slow and has high resistance so you're working hard but not going anywhere so you stay warmer so those were my genius tips also help you say stay safer because those bikes are more stable i like that i yeah. mean i i do not i do not agree with fat bikes only because i'm very nervous that peter's gonna end up walking in with one and we do not have a lot of storage space well, for i bikes. guess it's inevitable but yeah it yeah is, some people love them and, and again if you're, you're wanting to stay upright you know it's it seems like a good idea and if you want to just burn a lot of energy i guess it's and that keeps you warm so Anyhow, that is that. Uh, I don't know if I have, you, you had some articles or did you want to, you have your book, mention yeah. that again. We had this, the latest of the Hereford series. <laughs> well, I, series would imply it's one of the Shred Girls books, which it is not. But I just came out with the Athlete's Guide to Sponsorship, which is just sort of all about, yeah, the, the care and keeping of sponsors, you know, how to find one, how to put together a race resume, what to ask for, you know, kind of all the questions that someone who, you know, especially in the world of endurance sport, we're not really taught about a lot of this stuff uh, coming into it. So over the years as, you know, journalist, racer, team manager, coach, etc., I've kind of come right. up with a whole lot of, a lot of information, talked to a ton of really smart people who actually are the ones, you know, handing out the checks. Right. And that's, there's quotes from team managers, brand, you know, marketing managers, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So 
lots of good stuff there sort yeah. of whatever yeah. level you're at yeah you can find that over on the outdoor awesome well i uh, actually conducted an interview without you which is amazing that we got through this um molly's in charge of a lot of the tech so I had a good conversation with Sam Hale, who's a mental game coach, uh, which we talk a little bit about sort of the different designations and, and certifications in the world of sports psychology and mental performance. Uh, but it was a great conversation. We talked about uh, things I think that are relevant if you're a parent, if you're a kid, a young athlete. Uh, and also if you're, I kept bringing it back to the, the masters and, and uh, you know, busy people that I love working with and, and just sort of the things like, you know, negative self-talk, focus, refocus, a bit of goal setting. And Sam has not only a sports background, he's got like a business background. He did a lot of the stuff at the corporate level, which I think I actually really appreciate because, sure. you know, a lot of the times sports psychs work pretty specifically with like elite level athletes. So it's kind of interesting to talk to someone who, you know, has mainly worked with older people working nine to five in a corporate environment, which, you know, is most of us. Yeah. And I think I, I always like hearing from people that have pretty diverse backgrounds right so he has a sports psychology degree we talk about that and then went to work in corporate sort of around that uh i don't know what even a consultant really but looking at some of these elements i guess uh, of performance metrics kpis these type of thing uh and then he came back and and both with his kids and then you know sort of kids sport uh so he has his own kids i should say and then also kids sport um sort of using some of these uh you know mental performance ideas tactics cool techniques well, i am excited to hear it let's let's get into this episode with sam hale so can you tell me a bit sam about mental game coaching like what what is mental game coaching sure uh so peter mental game coaching is the concept of helping athletes with the mental part of their game i think all coaches and parents would tell you that uh, with every sport that, that that they play or participate with there is a mental aspect of the game and oftentimes coaches are great at providing uh, techniques on how to properly serve a ball or how to properly swing a club or how to properly block and tackle uh, but oftentimes what we find is missing is uh, when a coach says, play with more confidence, yet they don't show you or tell you how to do that as an athlete. And that's one of the many aspects that we as mental game coaches can help with athletes is, is building their confidence, giving them techniques, tools, strategies on how to improve their mental side of their game. I often say that uh, coaches coach in between the lines and we coach in between the ears. And uh, it seems to be uh, that in every sport, no matter what, uh, what age group, uh, there's oftentimes the mental aspects that's missing in, in most sporting events. Super. And is there, you know, we've had some different types of psychologists, sports psychologists, um, and I know with everything, coaching is no different. There's a, a, a host of different certification stuff. Can you tell me, I'm always curious just to know, like, what is, like, what is the game portion, I guess, or what is mental game coaching as far as a, a professionally a certification level? Sure. There are lots of different certifications out there. Uh, my certification is a mental game coaching uh, professional. Uh, I obtained that from uh, Dr. Patrick Cohn. He's based out of Florida. And uh, he wrote the book uh, often on, on kids psychology, sports psychology, and the mental game aspects uh, of that. Okay. And is that, so that is the like International Mental Game Coaching Association. Is that who we're talking about or, or what is the... 
No, that is a, a different governing body. Okay. Uh, there's the international side. There's also the AASP uh, of uh, applied sports psychology. So there's lots of different um, credentialing uh, bodies out there for sports psychology. And it's such a young field. It really is. It is. Uh, that, um, you know, you're just now beginning to see uh, more and more major colleges and universities, at least here in the U.S., uh, start to offer those type of courses. Right. Yeah. And then, like I say, it's with anything personal training, you know, all this stuff is, you know, it's almost as important who you're finding and what they've done as much as the, the certification or the, the education in some cases. Right. Exactly. Uh, okay. Uh, that's perfect. And then, like I say, half of these, the, those type of questions are, are, I think maybe the listeners sometimes get, you know, maybe some people are into it, but I'm always just, I, I'm always curious about the educational side of things and the pathway people take. Um, so in that light, I know you have sort of a different, uh, you know, educational background yourself. So do you want to just even uh, continue uh, sort of uh, humoring me, I guess, uh, and let me know, like, what, where, where have you come from to get to this point where you're helping athletes? Sure. So uh, I have a background in psychology. Uh, that's what I studied at university. And then I've spent the greater part of three decades uh, in a corporate America uh, with human resources, coaching and counseling employees, managers and executives alike as they struggle and go through their careers. On top of that, I'm also a father of four. And of those four kids, uh, two of them are serious athletes. Uh, the other two are more uh, performance-based, fine arts-based uh, uh, kids. But what we found just from a par parental standpoint uh, is the lack of, of – um, this type of service, mental game coaching service, we had a child that was struggling with confidence. Uh, he was uh, one year, he was the leading scorer for his team's basketball uh, team. And then the next year uh, he couldn't find, uh, you know, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. And uh, we really struggled to find somebody that can help him with that. We, he didn't need counseling per se. He didn't need a therapist telling him, you know, what was right, what was wrong. What he needed was somebody to help him with the mental aspect of his game, of how he could perform, how he could improve his performance, how he could uh, have more confidence, how he could stop the negative talk, the negative thinking that was going through his mind whenever he was trying to shoot a free throw, whenever he was uh, starting the game time situation. And uh, based upon my experience in corporate America, based upon my experience as a, as a parent, and just because of when you start talking to, to other people, just the, the the need that coaches saw for this, that's what prompted my wife and I to uh, to start Launch Peak Performance. That's so interesting, The you know, because I think a lot of us can relate, whether we're parents or we're, you know, athletes ourselves, um, you know, that, that idea of, you know, in one race, in one year, you know, we're at the top, we're doing really well, and then maybe you upgrade or you age up, or in the case of kids, you know, puberty and growth and going to rep and AAA and all this this stuff. Um, can, I'm just so interested to know, like, what, what did you find helped? I know nothing's a, a perfect scenario. There's no, like, magic solution switch. But what for your son in, in that situation, what, what were the, the tools or what were, you know, one of the things that helped him sort of step through that that growth and that that change in level and ability sure well we were lucky enough because we had the capabilities we did a combination of both neurofeedback and mental game coaching and on the mental game coaching side really what what we saw a huge difference in him from a confidence level um, was was getting him to look at the past success that he had had as a basketball player, as an athlete. And, and we actually have something in our program where we call 
um, creating a confidence resume where literally that's what we have the athletes do is go in and write down all the success, all the accolades, all the practice, all the hours of, of shooting um, drills, all the hours of, of, of dribbling drills that they put in, um, write it on paper. And then when you're done, you have, you know, sometimes a couple of pages worth of material that you go look back and say, wow, I, I did that. I can do that. And it, because that I've done this, because I have a thousand hours of shooting experience, because I've spent a thousand hours, um, uh, you know, um, working on my dribbling and ball handling skills, I must be a pretty good ball handler. And so just, um, uh, reiterating those concepts uh, into my son, uh, that's what helped him a lot. That's what kind of got him uh, and got his confidence level back. And uh, he returned. He wasn't the, the, the leading scorer, but he was the second leading scorer this past season. And uh, luckily, knock on wood, he's got um, some opportunities to play at the collegiate level. So for for our son, it's it's been a great experience for him. So so much of sport is that, that putting in the time, right? And it's trying to give athletes confidence that, you know, if you keep showing up at practice, you know, there's slumps which maybe we don't describe it like that but these periods where you know you're the, the smallest person or the the newest person you know they it goes but it, it's that confidence to to take time do you think I, I hate saying these days but i think now it, it's harder to do that sometimes you know everyone wants stuff quicker um you know aside from telling people you know oh, get put in this year and then everything will be okay um what are, are there other things with, especially with the the kids, I guess, but again, it seems general. Is there anything that when, when it is sort of that like put in time and you will grow, you will develop, um, you know, where is the focus in that case or what techniques can help? Sure. Well, mental game coaching, just like any other activity that you do, uh, isn't a, a one-time, oh, uh, you know, give me a pill and, and now I'm magically confident or I magically have focus in all of all of my games. It, it's exercises. It's routines. It's, it's, it's practice. It's You have to practice these skills in order to be able to, to hone those skills, to be able to have proactive confidence before you step on the court or on the field, uh, in order to be able to understand what your focus cues are so that when you're in a particular situation, you know what you should be thinking about and what you should not be thinking about. Um, and so what we do is, is on top of, of uh, presenting an idea or a concept, uh, we then have, have homework, for lack of a better term, that the athlete uh, implements these, these new um, uh, ideas, these new strategies into their practice time. And if they have a game time situation, try it in their game time as well. And then they report back and we talk about what worked, what didn't work, and, and things that we can do to, to, um, to, to hone in to get the result, the end results that we want. Um, but, you know, I've tried. I've gone to the gym once or, once or twice expecting to get a six-pack abs. <laughs> hasn't happened yet. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. And mental game coaching is the same way. It, it can't be an ongoing process. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, we ha we've had interviewed lots of top athletes, and I've been fortunate enough to, to work with some. And, you know, a lot of these things are not ever going away right like you could be winning i've seen people they win big big races and they're like i thought i, I was going to drop out i didn't think i could do it you know i had this voice in my head that was saying i suck and i didn't you know it's I, why am i here and it's like well you're the best person in the world right like it's it's it, like you say it's it's ongoing and it's perhaps never ending right but we learn to cope and we learn to refocus 
Exactly. And, and, you know, we, one of the other techniques we train, you mentioned the word refocus, we have something called the three R's where we want them to, uh, and it's specifically designed around focus. So, um, as an athlete, we would, uh, help and develop, uh, focus cues. So as a pitcher, let's say, um, a pitcher on the, on the, on the, on the mound, you know, really there are only two, three, maybe four things you should really be focused on. Everything else is just, should just be background noise, just should ju- just be white noise. Um, and so we, we find and identify what those three or four things are as a pitcher. And if you ever find your, your mind wandering, okay, now I'm talking, I'm looking at the guy in the selling hot dogs in the stands, or I'm looking at the screaming mom or dad. Uh, what we do is we, we teach something called the three R's where the first thing you do is you recognize, hey, I'm not focused. I'm not thinking about what I'm supposed to be thinking about at this point in time. Um, uh, then you, you, once you recognize it, you regroup. Okay, this is in this situation. These are the two or three things I should be thinking about. And then you refocus. And uh, that, that skill alone, um, a vast amount of my athletes say that they use that religiously uh, and they use it every day in practice and in game time situations. It's just a great way to, to maintain your focus while you're uh, in the heat of the battle. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so valuable, right? And it, it could be anything. You start, again, those other thoughts coming in that, you know, oh, you, you suck or you're, you're fading, you're not doing it, or, um, you know, that last pitch was, was not great. And then, yeah, trying to get back on track, right? And, yeah, seeing it with the, the best people, for sure. Um, and... and I guess from there, you mentioned neurofeedback, which I'm just curious, can you describe that? I don't know if that everyone would be familiar with that, so I'll maybe take you back to that, and maybe can you take a, sort of explain, at least even briefly, what, what neurofeedback would be? Sure. So neurofeedback is a process of conditioning your brain to perform at its optimal performance level. And so the, the analogy we use is that it's not go- if you're going from point A to point B, um, and let's say you do it during rush hour, uh, you have to take the same route. There, there's, there's not an alternate route to go. You have to go through the busy, busy highway to get from point A to point B. But what if we could remove all the obstacles? What if we could remove that traffic flow so that you could, you could go from point A to point B, um, you know, as, as smoothly as possible? Well, that's kind of what neurofeedback does. We don't reprogram your brain per se. What we do is remove some of the clutter that gets in the way uh, of, of your brain performing optimally. Uh, your brain as a muscle wants to take the path of least resistance. So it wants to do whatever it can do as quickly and as, as efficiently as it, as it can. And so through neurofeedback, we actually set electrodes, um, and it can either be singular electrodes or in a cap type setting where you have multiple up to 18 or 20 electrodes. Um, and we are programming and, and measure, measuring and monitoring the, the amplitude, the, the, the wattage uh, that your brain is releasing. And we can um, either uh, increase or, or um, encourage the brain to produce more of certain levels of, of brain activity, and we can encourage the brain to produce less of certain levels of brain activity. And really, it's as simple as watching a movie. So we'll put on a television show or a movie, something on Netflix, what have you, and when, when your brain is doing what we want it to do, you see and hear the movie perfectly. If it's not, if your brain is not performing optimally, the screen will start to dim, and you'll start hearing hearing uh, um, dings or dongs in the background. 
And that's trying to reattune your brain to focus on, okay, this isn't working. This isn't, we don't like this, this dimming of the movie or, or this extra noise. So your brain will correct itself so that you are able to see the picture clear. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I was a huge skeptic of it myself until about five or six years ago when we actually put my daughter through neurofeedback due to her anxiety. And uh, the great thing about neurofeedback is that it's, it's permanent. Uh, there aren't, uh, you know, continuous um, sessions you have to do. Uh, typically, 20 to 40 sessions uh, can, can um, identify and correct most of the issues that we experience, at least in our clinic. And, um, you know, there's no, you don't have to go back for a refresher or a retuner at, at any point, which is fantastic. And there's no medication involved, which is something that we as parents were very uh, leery of. Uh, we didn't want to, you know, uh, have medication be the cure-all or end-all for, for it, some of these symptoms if we can do it in a non-medicated kind of way. Sure, sure. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. It sounds sort of space age, to be honest. But um, <laughs> it, it 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 really does. Uh, but it's gaining more and more popularity. You see a lot of athletes worldwide really um, uh, utilizing neurofeedback. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, there's been lots of books written and and lots of of star athletes who who are saying that they utilize neurofeedback. I think. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks, one of the NFL teams here in the U.S., uh, they have somebody on site, on staff, that helps with their players with the neurofeedback side. Uh, so it's becoming more and more common and prevalent. I think that as long as we have this stigma of, of mental um, um, uh, being a negative aspect of, of the game, we won't see uh, as much um, uh, promotion or as much um, information on it as maybe we would if it was uh, dealing with something else with athletes. Hmm. Is it related in some way to like a biofeedback where you sort of get like you're monitoring like a heart rate or a heart rate variability? Like is it similar in that sense that you're sort of like sitting there and able sort of like physiological sensations are sort of being expressed to you um, as you say on a screen or something? Yeah, it's similar to that concept. I mean, the, the biofeedback size that, that uh, you know, you're training yourself and your body to control your breathing or control your heart rate or, or uh, you, you know, your blood pressure, things along that line. And, and it's, it's similar to that in that you're using your, your body's um, um, energy to be able to, to display what kind of the, the, the performance that your brain is doing. And, um, again, through um, uh, depending upon – um, what we want to improve or what we want to squash, uh, we can um, uh, change the uh, amount of um, energy, I guess, that the brain uses for for particular um, aspects of sports performance. But it's not just for sports performance. It can be for depression, for anxiety. Uh, we see a lot of kids with ADHD that get a lot of help uh, with the neurofeedback. Hmm. And there would be a therapist sort of guiding this uh, process, then I imagine. I, ideally, yes. Yeah. Uh, you should you should have a certified neurofeedback specialist monitoring this because you are dealing with people's brains. Mm -hmm. uh, and at least here in the U.S. and specifically here in Oklahoma, where I'm at, um, there's a lot of people that just do neurofeedback because they 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 see it, they hear about it. And they think that they can do it. So I would encourage all of your listeners that neurofeedback is great. I would encourage them to find somebody that is properly trained and has their proper certifications to conduct neurofeedback. Right, right. Um, shifting gears a bit, 
I'm wondering in in regards to especially children, but again, I think a lot of this stuff is 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 pretty open. But when you have a, an athlete and this concept of, of failure, right, is it, sort of it seems like it comes up a fair bit right now. Um, and, and looking at failure, not necessarily as always bad or completely bad, right? Like that it's normal. You know, the, there's the classic Michael Jordan missing shots, and he took a lot mm-hmm. of shots and all this stuff. Um, have you found anything, you know, in terms of, of discussing this or, or any sort of procedures or experiments sort of around this idea of failure and, and trying, I guess, even like showing up and trying something? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the first thing that went through my mind, Peter, as well, is uh, I think I've seen the meme on Facebook or LinkedIn about Michael Jordan. He missed 20,000 shots in his career. Um, and w- one of the things we deal with a lot with our athletes is perfectionism. Um, a lot of athletes uh, feel like they have to be perfect every single time they go out on the court or on the field. And that's just not realistic. And, and we tell our athletes, you're going to have a very disappointing sports career if your expectations every time you go out is to be perfect, because it, again, it's just it's just so remote that that's going to happen. That why even put yourself up for failure that way with that expectation? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so with failure, that's really where you get growth. And um, a lot of times, how an athlete handles a, a setback—I don't even want to call it a failure—I'll call it a setback. A lot of it can depend upon how not only do the coaches respond, but how do the parents respond as well? Uh, So if you're putting undue expectations or undue pressure on your athlete, uh, whenever they, they, you know, give up a home run or give up a touchdown or give up a a, a goal, um, it's really how does the coach respond? How does the the parent respond? And and having the proper modeling behavior. We have to realize whether you're a a young athlete or or a semi-pro or professional athlete, that event, that, 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 that setback is one second of your entire life. It's one second of your entire career. And so if you can put it in, in a box like that, Hey, this happened. Uh, here's what I'm going to do to better so that the next time I'm in that situation, uh, I'm more likely not to let that happen and, and move on that way. Use it as a growing opportunity and not as a, as, as a lifelong failure or setback. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that it's, it's so normal, whichever sport you look at, right. That even the top people are, are having these misses or these like slight mistakes or slight, you know, off to one side when, you know, they want it to be down the middle, um, you know, and it's just repetitions so often um, and getting back to it. Yeah. I think that's so valuable. Right. And I think you're, like you say, it's almost in the environment, both at home and, and in the, the sport program that that showing up and, and practicing is, is sort of prioritized. Um, as far as, environment then I guess a lot of people would have heard of goal setting for sure uh, mm-hmm. and they may or may not associate that with sports psychology or mental training um, do you see like as a global in a global sense goal setting like is there common mistakes you see uh, with athletes when they come in and you know you, you maybe check in on goals or what are they trying to do Oh, absolutely, Peter. Uh, and that's one of the things that we really rely on is goal setting uh, through our mental game coaching program. And I've seen this not only with athletes, young and old, but even uh, in corporate America when I was training executives, managers and employees uh, on goal setting. Probably the biggest 
issue that I've seen and experienced firsthand is just the lack of clarity. Uh, the goal is so generic that, uh, you know, you don't know when you've achieved it. You don't know if you've achieved it. Uh, for example, getting better. I want to throw harder. I want to score more. I want to play better. That doesn't tell us anything. Um, and it's hard to measure that. And so I'm a firm believer in, in kind of the SMART goal process. Um, whatever goal that you create, make sure that it's specific, a specific goal that, that you and everybody else can understand. Make sure that it's measurable. Know when you've achieved it. Know when you haven't achieved it. Know what it, it will take to enable to achieve it. Um, make it achievable. Don't go in with the, with the goal of pitching a no-hitter every time. That's not realistic. Uh, it be relevant and, and be, be time bound, make it so that it's not six years or six months down the road, make, build small, um, e even micro goals that you accomplish, um, frequently that not only, uh, in, builds confidence and encouragement, but it gets you that much further down the line to your ultimate goal, whatever that is, uh, of, of achieving an ultimate success in your sport. Yeah, and I wonder too. You mentioned corporate America, and a lot of the clients I work with are, um, you know, really smart people who, you know, have corporate jobs or you know teachers or whatever, and they've done really well for themselves, and you know they've been attracted to endurance sport because you're able to work away at that, and it's usually individual, um, you know, so they can sort of go after that triathlon, whatever. Um, and I wonder if that the concepts of the perfection and then the goal setting, if there's like some relation there where you know, we need to be perfect, we need to be perfect workout, perfect race, perfect, you know, everything. Um, but then there's not really, like, what perfect is, is sort of this, like, odd, like, what is perfect? Like, why, mm -hmm. is, you know, a lot of these sports are quite variable, actually. Um, you know, so, like, this perfect workout where you've had this perfect output for the whole time or, or whatever, right? Like, it just, it strikes me that maybe there's there's a tie-in there with the goal setting, uh, as you mentioned, micro-goal setting, Um do you think that's tied in there somewhere with the the perfectionism? Oh, absolutely. I I, I think so. Um, and and you know what I find um, again, especially with my athletes, uh, is that perfect perfectionistic quality is something that that sometimes coaches and parents inadvertently fuel, um, and not meaning to necessarily, but rewarding athletes for points scored, rewarding athletes for um, uh, you know, strikeouts uh, can really um, magnify that perf perfectionistic tendency in in athletes uh, at all levels. And um, being able to to create goals that um, uh, that that kind of offset those perfectionistic tendencies, um, I think is is gives our athletes an advantage uh, so that they're, they're not stressed, they're not weighed down by unreal, unrealistic expectations. And, and quite frankly, if you have expectations, um, expectations are either either uh, on or off, either you, you achieve the expectation or you don't. So we really encourage our athletes not to have expectations, but instead replace those with goals, with process goals. And you have three or four micro goals, uh, as we call them, Peter, uh, that ultimately lend you to your ultimate goal. And that's much more achievable, much more obtainable than, um, you know, uh, 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 an expectation of throwing a no-hitter every time. Yeah, and sometimes I like that expectation versus goal idea. Um, and because an individual session may have 
you know, a certain goal that we're trying to do with it, right? But there's a host of things, you know, rules or whatever that may not even apply to that given scenario. But what I find is that a lot of times it's like when there's stress or this frustration, it's there's a whole host of rules that have just been applied in the name of perfection, right? So I mm-hmm. have to do this average wattage or, or something for this workout, but the whole workout wasn't even, you know, there was no average power output for a cyclist or something, right? It might have just been one interval that had to be, you know, hard, but the total workout average didn't really matter, right? But someone may have this in their head that they need to be in this this certain output, right, for the session. Um, so sometimes it's like rules, I find. Um, do you find that that's something where people have, like, added rules or sometimes I've seen this called, like, should statements, like I should mm-hmm. be doing this? Right. No, I think that's quite common. Uh, a, a lot of should statements um, I see in the athletes that that, that we have. Um, and, uh, you know, to your point, it could be, um, you know, I should strike out this batter or I should score here. Or I should not let somebody do this. Um, those really creep uh, into the, the again, the, the minds of the athletes when they're performing. And that's a huge um um, slippery slope for for the negative self-talk that athletes can easily find themselves in. Yeah, and I was hoping you'd go there because um, I definitely see that again in these sort of successful um, people that I work with. You know, that sometimes there's like such a like I'm going to say abusive. It's not. I, I don't know if I want to say that, but the the what we say to ourselves sometimes is really mean. I guess is what I'll say, uh, and and I'm as guilty as anyone. But uh, do you have any? You know, if we had an athlete and they were, you know, having this negative self-talk, you know, they're out in workouts and they're, you know, just completely going after themselves. Is there, is there something, you know, where would you start with that? Sure. Um, You know, Peter, I'll tell you, uh, we are our own harshest critic. Um, Nobody can, can help us or hurt us mentally more than ourselves. And um, that negative self-talk is, is powerful. It really is. And so what we do with our athletes is uh, during one of our sessions is that we identify, okay, what is your negative self, self-talk? When you're in this situation or when you were in this situation, what were, what were you saying to yourself? What were the thoughts going through your mind? And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make a list. It could be two things. It could be 25 things. But we'll list out all the negative self-talk. I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, I'm no good. I'm too small. I'm too fat. Whatever those things are. And then what we do is we create with the athlete rebuttals. So so that and, – and then that's kind of where this practice and this training aspect comes in because we'll come up with a rebuttal for every negative self-talk that they've given themselves. And then we would have that, that athlete apply those rebuttals, um, you know, when they're in a practice situation or a game time situation. Uh, a, a rebuttal could be, you know, I'm no good at this. And the rebuttal is, no, um, I just spent all week, I just spent 100 hours this week or 25 hours this week uh, throwing 1,000 pitches. So I am good at this. I know I can do this. And just encouraging and, and, and creating those rebuttals and then putting those rebuttals so that um, uh, the negative self-talk doesn't have a chance to, to, uh, to even pop up and, and enter their brain while they're uh, performing their sport. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy. Again, you see this at all levels, right? Like you, oh, see, absolutely. you see people, you know, they're in the, you know, 1% of 1%, you know, the elite category in whatever sport and, you know, they're they're in 10th instead of first or 10th instead of on the, you know, fighting for the podium. And that just, you know, 
the end of the world. And it's like, well, no, I mean, you're pretty good at this. <laughs> you're top 10 in whatever, you know, na- the nation, the, the world, whatever. Um, you know, and well, in- that context sometimes is, you know, and again, these are the people who are doing pretty well. So it's like, I, I feel like as a, a, maybe a type A myself, right? It's like you, you hear stuff like this and you're like, okay, sure, yeah, we're not supposed to criticize ourselves, right? Well, that's not how I got here. I got here with, like, hard work, right? Um, and, and do you find that, that it's it's people, especially the, like, type A's, for lack of a better descriptor, who, like, do they have a hard time accepting this? Do you ever get pushback? Oh, yes. I mean, especially, uh, you know, for an athlete who has had success being a, a certain way, it's hard to change. And... Um, you know, first and foremost, they want, they will have to want to have that change. They will want to have a different think, uh, thought process or different outlook when it comes to those type of scenarios. Uh, but yeah, I think that's very common. And, and, you know, we see this, at least in the U S we see it every weekend with, with American football, um, where coaches will call a timeout before the kicker kicks a the ball. They're trying to ice the kicker. And what they're hoping is that that negative self-talk gets into that kicker's head and that they miss that, that field goal. Whether it's a you know a chip shot of ten or fifteen yards, whether it's a sixty-five yarder, the the expectation is that a coach of the opposing team will call that timeout with the hope that that negative self-talk will uh, prevail within that kicker's mind. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one, and it, 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 they all sort of relate a lot of these concepts, right? So it's I, I, I oh, yeah. you know the toolbox is probably an overused cliche with mental mental training stuff, but um, you know, the, your focus, the three R's, I like those, um, you know, because when you're saying this stuff to yourself, right, a lot of it is not helpful in the moment at all, right? Like, it's not strategy, it's not, it's not useful at all. So when you, with your three R's, then, um, like someone's sort of saying, oh, I'm slow, I lost the group, I'm, you know, getting dropped, I missed the kick. Um, could you take us through then just to bring it back to those three R's, the, like what would be that, you know, I'm racing, you know, I, I just got dropped and I'm telling myself I suck and I should drop out. Like what would be the, what would be an example maybe of those three R's to sort of refocus? Sure. Well, one of the things, things we do, Peter, is develop a plan A and a plan B. And so plan A is, is focus cues. So when you're in that run, um, when you're in that race, what are the two or three things that you should be focused on um, during that time? And and what we want to do is keep the mind, the brain busy with those two or three focus cues things. So as long as I'm keeping pace with that person or as long as I'm uh, hitting my my goal of however many minutes or however many, uh, uh, you know, distance in a specific time, you know, those are the the, the focus cues we want them to 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 keep keep uh, in the forefront of their mind. Right. If at some point you see you, you realize, hey, I'm not thinking of that goal. I'm thinking of whatever. I'm thinking of quitting. I'm thinking of of leaving and going the you know doing something different. That's where we want the three R's to come in. So we want you to re rec- hey, you have to recognize, hey, I'm not where I'm supposed to be from from a mindset standpoint. Once you recognize that. Then you do the regroup. Okay, here's where I should be at. Here's what I'm supposed to be thinking of. And then you start the refocus process. So uh, it's all about developing what those process, uh, those focus cues are. Um, again, in training the athlete on, on what those are. And 
uh, for any given athlete, they could have, uh, you know, again, let's talk about baseball. Uh, when you're uh, playing offense, when you're at, in their batter's box, you could have two or three focus cues. When you're uh, on uh, running the bases, you could have two or three focus cues. When you're on defense out in the field, you could have two or three focus cues. So it really depends upon where you're at and, and what you're doing for your particular sport as to, um, you know, what you're going to regroup and refocus on. Right. Right. I love it. I, uh, we deal a lot with off-road cycling uh, mm. and the different disciplines in that, and then also a bit of running. So that's sort of our listeners too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for them, a lot of times what you'll you'll end up is, or at least what I try and encourage, um, we have sort of the technical sections, and then you have more of the physical sections, like so climbs and then say descents, right? So it's on a climb, you know, you're obviously working hard, exertion's really hard. You want to like basically stop pedaling because it's it's so hard, um, and then. On the descent, you sort of have to like calm down, relax, and like remember lines, right? Um, so I wonder, could you take us through with those two, or just one of those scenarios? Just to, I want to really make sure that this concept people are getting, you know, in terms of endurance sport, even. Um, and I know I may be pushing you a little bit, but let's let's see what you can do with that. Sure. Well, so for so for for a climb, obviously, uh, in, again, I assume that there, there's groups of racers. This isn't a, an individual type scenario. Sure. So, so you'd want to make sure that, that one of your uh, uh, focus cues is, you know, where's everybody else? The last thing you want to do is run into somebody uh, while you're going through this process. Um, so, you know, where's, where's, you know, look at your three fit radius or, or whatever your, your comfort zone is, make sure that you're, um, aware of who's in that area. Um, then you need to, uh, you know, understand and realize, okay, this is how much, um, effort I should be exerting into this particular phase of the race. You don't want to overexert or underexert because that could impact you, uh, later on in, in the race process. Um, and then um, probably the, the the third process focus uh, focus cue um, would be just realizing from from self where are you at you know uh, are you are you um, um, doing what you're supposed to be doing are you are you are you pedaling or not pedaling like you indicated earlier uh, making sure that you're doing the appropriate technique for whatever um, obstacle or 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 situations you're experiencing right so it might be something like gear choice or something like that too and exactly a lot of times people again with where you know you suck and i'm going to drop out because i suck whereas people could be thinking you know relax your shoulders you know breathe you know, find, you know, how's my gearing, you know, am I doing the best things I can be doing to get up this climb, right? Exactly. Okay. And then they're coming over the top and, you know, they're breathing really hard and they're really like drilled and they've been working super, super hard. And then they have to come down something technical. Um, So then again, in that situation, cues might be around relaxation or, or a line choice. So could you take us just, you know, someone's still saying they suck and they lost the group, but now they have to go down something death defying. Uh, can you take us sort of in that refocus sort of plan at the top of this thing while we're drilled and telling ourselves we suck? Sure. So on the refocus side, uh, it's all about I, I can get back there. I can get back to the group. I've done it before. Um, I've put in uh, you know hours of training this week. I've put in hours of training this year, these past two years, 10 years, whatever the, the case is. I can do this. 
And, and normally if I was with the group, this is how I would, I would react and respond, but because I need to catch up a bit, this is what I'm going to do to catch up. Um, and, and, uh, just continually having those rebuttals of, of, I, this can be done. I've overcome this before. I can overcome this again would be the rebuttals that we would help the athletes come up with. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes good just to work through even just different scenarios so we can sort of take that to our own own situations and, and troubles and, and whatnot. Um, you mentioned, uh, we, we got a little bit into goal setting and stuff, um, and we are, by the time we get this episode out, we're going to be around New Year's, uh, which isn't a bad time to be talking about this stuff. Um, do you have any, I, I, I imagine you, again, you do goal setting, so that's all we're talking about with New Year's resolutions. Um, hmm. Would you have any advice? Like, do you have athletes come in, like, wanting to do New Year's resolutions, or, or what is, what do you have, does that cross your plate at all? Uh, yeah, it does occasionally. And, and really it kind of goes back to, to the smart goal concept. Um, you know, you can't expect to go to the gym two times and walk out with a six pack abs. And so coming up with, with goals, uh, realistic goals that, that are achievable that, uh, allow you to win frequently, uh, gives you the encouragement to continue to, to, um, to go and do, do that workout, continue to do, um, and go to the gym and continue to achieve those, those long-term goals that you have. Um, so just coming up with a smart goal process, um, again, something that's achievable, uh, but, uh, is winnable so that you have some wins under your belt. Cause once you start gaining weight or losing weight, whatever it is that you're trying to do, um, once you start seeing, uh, the results, uh, that's when it becomes addictive. And, um, that's really what, when it becomes fun with new year's resolutions, when you can actually look back and, and feel a sense of accomplishments, uh, of, of, of what you've done. I'm trying to think, have I forgotten anything? Is there anything on your mind that I, we haven't gotten to as, as far as what people might want to know about mental training and, and this concept of sports psychology? You know, um, I think we pretty much covered all of the things that were on my notes for sure. Um, you know, again, it, it is a growing field. It's something that um, probably five or ten years ago maybe didn't even exist as, as to, to, to how we see it and, and view it now. And I think it's continuing to grow and continuing to get more and more um, uh, bodies involved in, in um, kind of oversight and overseeing in the certification process. So I think it's definitely uh, going to um, uh, continue to mature and grow, and you'll see it much more widely accepted um, throughout throughout the world. Yes, yeah, I think it's all it's all we're, we're learning a lot, right? So it's the certifications and the people, you know, sort of helping people through that is it's going to have to grow with as we we learn more and more about all this. Um, what I, I often like to get, you know, I got your, your professional background and I'm always curious about that. Is there any books, you know, resources, websites, we'll certainly link to all your stuff and we'll, we'll plug that in a second, but is there anything, you know, that you feel like has been really instrumental in your learning or paradigm shifting? It could be related directly to this or, or not. Does anything come to mind, um, as far as stuff that people that you just really like personally, even, you know, um, I actually have a book next to my bed that I've been reading that uh, I just cannot think of the name of it off the top of my head that I would uh, recommend, at least especially as an introduction to, to neurofeedback and uh, how um, kind of a, a skeptic who was a former baseball player himself 
started researching and and seeing what the benefits of neurofeedback really are and talking to all of the experts that have been involved in, in kind of creating um, neurofeedback as we know it. Um, uh, if it comes to me, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, you know, my mentor, Patrick Cohn, uh, he has uh, a website called uh, Kids Sports Psychology. There's a lot of great resources there that he and his sister have put together. Um, he is a PhD sports psychologist that um, uh, really um, has grown the mental coaching aspect of how of, of what it is today uh, through uh, much of his career. And uh, he has a lot of great material on his website uh, that you can uh, view and look at, not only just for kids, but for, for coaches as well. Okay. Yep. And that's definitely for coaches to be just sort of brought up to, you know, keep up to date with uh, a lot of these concepts, right? And none of it's, you know, just the exclusive, like you need, you know, this certain Special training, I guess what I'm saying is the, the coaches have to deal with this too, right? The elements of goal setting, the elements of, uh, you know, the mental health of their athletes, right? So hopefully uh, some resources there for people. Uh, your website is launchpeakperformanceok, so for Oklahoma.com. So launchpeakperformanceok.com. Um, anything else as far as how people can follow or, or keep in touch if they want to reach out to you? Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We're at launch underscore OK as well. Okay. And then uh, our phone number, again, is 918-578-9990. And uh, again, with the mental coaching, uh, we can do that through distance learning. We set up uh, video conferencing and um, we can do it based upon the athlete schedule. So uh, evenings, weekends, whatever makes sense uh, for that particular athlete. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great conversation and we'll keep you posted when the episode goes out and we'll make sure all those links are in the show notes for so people can find you. Sounds great, Peter. I appreciate your time today. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind the scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone and it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.